Welcome to Biomechanics on Our Minds. My name is Melissa Boswell. And I'm Hannah O'Day, and we're PhD students at Stanford University. This podcast is brought to you by the International Society of Biomechanics. It's, it's time, time for Boom. Welcome to Boom. We have Biomechanics on Our Minds. Boom. Boom. Today, we have the pleasure of talking with Dr. Lisa McFadden, who is the Director of Engineering and Applied Sciences at Sanford Orthopedics Sports Medicine in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So thanks for talking with us, Lisa. Absolutely. Excited to be here. Yeah, we met at ISB-ASB 2019 Congress in Calgary last summer (laughs) and just really enjoyed talking with each other and had some similar interests in in outreach and helping students. And so... And she's a huge Boom fan. Yes. (laughs) Like probably the biggest. (laughs) Sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) But we enjoyed, you know, thinking together of some ways that we could kind of work on that together. And that was, that's been really fun. And you've actually helped us Mm -hmm. come up with our new segment for Boom. So we have another episode every month called Student Voices. And that's been amazing because we've had other students been able to get involved with Boom and interview people that are interesting to them. So thank you for your support with that. And yeah, Yeah. that's what you're listening to right now. Who do I hear? Student is me. Student voices. 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 Awesome. Well, I mean, it was just important to me. I'm a huge biomechanics nerd. I don't think anybody would be surprised by that and have a lot of passion for our field in general. And with the student voices thing, I was a very involved graduate student, but I also know that the more opportunities we can create for students to get involved and to ignite those passions throughout their education and, you know, give them those opportunities that are less in the classroom and less in the lab and things that they might have roles and similarities when they become professionals in academia or otherwise. I think those are just ways that we can continue to engage students and provide other training opportunities that they wouldn't normally get. Hmm. Yeah. And that's super exciting that you're in that position and been able to ignite that. I'm interested in, you said you've always been a biomechanics nerd, but I'm interested to know when you first knew you wanted to be a biomechanist. That's an interesting question. (laughs) So I'm a huge biomechanics nerd. I suppose I I should be very careful because I fought it for a long time. (laughs) My dad was a, a anesthesiologist growing up, and I've always been particularly strong in mathematics and science, but I was determined I was going to be a physician. Started out that I wanted to be a pediatrician, and then I wanted to be an oncologist, and then found passion in orthopedics and was really, really focused in high school on being a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. I spent a lot of time in operating rooms and everything like that. And my dad kept telling me I was insane. (laughs) So he's like, no, no, no. The medical field has lots of challenges and continues to change and the work-life balance isn't great. And so I went to college as a, I was an applied math major with a minor in, or well, I guess pre-med, whatever that is. And probably one year in, I was like, huh, this is really just biomedical engineering. And uh, sure enough, my passion in orthopedics, my skills in math, and my realization that medicine 
and my future in it was a little different than I'd anticipated based on my strengths and kind of my ambitions for life outside of work really just ended up being a, oh, duh moment. I should be a biomechanical engineer. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. It's like interesting to see, you know, how once you start getting experience in an area and like start, but also start understanding yourself and <laughs> like your values and, you know, your strengths, like whether or not those line up, um, I think is really important. And it's great that you were able to learn that even before you went to college. So, and then once you got there, that biomedical engineering was really like where you saw yourself fitting in. So thank you for sharing that story with us. Absolutely. And that process actually continues. That's a self-awareness and the learning process about who you are as you navigate your career never stops. That's so true. Yeah, Yeah, I think we all forget that sometimes. Like, it's like, when is it just going to be figured out? (laughs) (laughs) Are there like times that you set aside to kind of reorient yourself and think about that? Or does it just kind of come naturally from time to time? Sometimes it comes naturally. But what I found is mindfulness of that learning process is really important. Mm -hmm. So in my role at Stanford Health as a director, I have a lot of administrative responsibilities. And one of the things that it took me a little while to really think about when I first got here was I'm skilled technically, but there's a lot as a professional that I had to learn about administration and finance and relationship management and navigation. And it took me a little while to realize that I had to personally take an approach very similar to being a student again, read a lot of books. I'm actually in a leadership academy within our organization, learning about behaviors and things like that, because without the mindfulness, sometimes you you kind of go into default, let's get it done mode, especially if you're You've got a lot of experience. And so I think that mindfulness is really important because then you have a pillar of learning and you're really focused on growing in, in a particular way. And it's a little less overwhelming if you kind of pick one thing that you're going to learn at a time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on the other side of that too, like also recognizing when you really like something and enjoy it and taking the time to like reflect on why you like something as much mm-hmm. as why you don't like something, I think is also pretty insightful. Can you tell us a little bit about your research in sports biomechanics? Sure. So interestingly, it's not something I anticipated I would be doing a lot of when I was in graduate school. (laughs) I started out in orthopedic biomechanics, and then I went and worked at L3 Communications after grad school, which was a defense contractor doing a lot of medical modeling, but found myself um, really passionate about physical performance for our warfighters. And so I did a lot of work really understanding about performing in extreme environments and musculoskeletal injury mechanics. And so when I had the opportunity to come to Stanford initially to run our Sports Science Institute, it was just a really cool opportunity because we do a lot of biomechanics in baseball, running, golf. Um, We're starting to get into tennis. And Mm -hmm. it's just been really interesting and exciting to apply some of my skills into popular sports. And it kind of gets an attention that people, you don't expect, you don't get the same amount of attention necessarily from pro athletes and things like that, that you do when all of a sudden you're doing something that's in their wheelhouse. And so it's, it's just been really exciting to be able to 
apply this in a way that we do a lot of research, but we also work with athletes directly. And so we've tested, you know, people like Bernhard Langer, an elite golfer from Germany has come and done some work with us. And we've been able to work with him and provide some insights. So really kind of in the sports world, we're able to blend research, learning and practice and kind of have this, this cyclical relationship between the two that provides some real-time utilization of what we're learning. Wow. Wow. So you really get that like closed loop translation that I think a lot of us in biomechanics, bioengineering and engineering in general, like strive to have, right? Like quickly being able to learn something, iterate and actually test those learnings. Exactly. I mean, it's real-time feedback, whether it's working with the athlete or, or whatnot, working with coaches and what I really like about it is that we're embedded with sports performance and orthopedics and sports medicine. And so we're continually asking questions that impact patient care or athlete performance within a very quick period of time. And then that feedback comes back, influences our programming, whether it's influencing our medical care or influencing the way that we work with athletes, which then, of course, as you guys know, just creates more questions. <laughs> mm. Right. I'm wondering, that sounds like a lot of different people that you work with on a daily basis, which is amazing and super interdisciplinary. Like, what do you think is one of the most important things to making that an efficient closed loop, right? That is a really good question. It's really hard to get a bunch of different areas of expertise all, all swimming in the same direction. One of the benefits that you know, biomedical engineers have is that we're used to having and communicating with interdisciplinary groups. Uh, if you think about biomechanics alone, there's a lot of embedded computer science, neuroscience, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, neurophysiology, biology. So we are lucky that we're able to kind of understand different areas. But one of the things I think it, that our area of expertise lends well to is that you have a respect for the amount of knowledge that is in those other areas. And so I think two things are really important as we look at our interdisciplinary team. One is having the respect for other areas of expertise and really asking questions and learning from them and informing yourself, but also looking to them to kind of lead that expertise and, and make the whole product greater. The other is learning how to communicate because the way that a physical therapist and a strength coach and athletic trainer and an engineer all think and communicate is very different. And so that piece is really important too, is to just kind of making sure everyone's on the same page and understanding mm -hmm. what you're trying to accomplish. Could you give us an example of like how you might communicate something with a coach mm -hmm. versus like a physical therapist or an orthopedic surgeon? <laughs> So, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm thinking of all the debates that we've had. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I mean, it's really fun. So, for example, when we started getting into golf, we got into a conference room with our strength coaches, our engineers, and our physical therapists, Ooh. and we were talking about pelvic tilt, right? So, you guys probably go, yeah, pelvic tilt. I got that. That's, you know, change in range of motion and change of, you know, joint angles and things like that. Our physical therapists think about it and they see that range of motion piece and the changing of joint angles. 
they also see how the body moves the golf swing and how that links to the body kinematics and the, the muscle mechanics and the body limitations. And our golf pros have a completely different definition of what pelvic tilt is. Because we think about it in three different axes, right? Right. We think about it in terms of the mechanics of what's going on in the golf swing. So they're oh. thinking about tilt and the sway and you know the way your body moves through the golf swing but to them a tilt is just a change of an angle so i can take a book right pick it up on the table and i can tilt it one way mm-hmm. or up and down or i can tilt it forward and back along different axes we think about that and we're like okay well it's 20 degrees or rotated around the x-axis but the golf pros to them it's just tilting right so that's an example of where our backgrounds really change the way that we use words and what those words mean and how we apply that into practice. Golf in general has so many different practitioners coming together to do talk about science. Everyone's really engaged, which is great, but coming up with common language is really an interesting challenge with engineers, exercise scientists, physical therapists, chiropractors, coaches, all coming together and, and having a different definition of things. Hmm. Right. I feel like both a different definition and also of exactly, you know, what you're talking about, like pelvic tilt, for example, but then also a different definition of like, what is meaningful? Like if we, as a biomechanist, sometimes it's like a five degree or a 10 degree (laughs) difference. And for us, that's meaningful. But for somebody that's in the middle of a golf swing, like Maybe, you know, tilting their pelvis five more degrees isn't really, you yeah. know. Or how do you translate yeah. that to them so they feel that difference the way that we see it? Absolutely. Really understanding the difference between statistically significant mm-hmm. and clinically or in the sports world performance significant is, is a big deal. I mean, we just did a study looking at implant mechanics on joints and we looked at the difference between one fixation technique and another for a broken bone. And what was just interesting was is that there was a difference between the two methods, but it wasn't clinically significant. And so really making sure that you're pausing to interpret the clinical piece is very important and something that we're very lucky to do because we've got the clinical crew integrated with us. So when you say clinically significant, is that something that you capture from your interactions with clinicians or is that something that you're actually able to like find in the literature? Cause sometimes I find that like you want to be able to say something clinically significant, but sometimes it's challenging to figure out how to know what is significant from a clinical setting. Yes. So in this example, we were working with a physician who has really been integral in developing the methodology that we were looking at and comparing it to the gold standard. And so he was really able to tell us, you know, what clinically was important. I will not have the right terminology, but there is a, a method that looks at and defines clinically significant. I'm, of course, trying to Google it right now because that's what we all do, right? right. <laughs> there is clinical significance that can be defined And, you know, I think it's going to be different for each different type of study and each different type of treatment. And so I think that's part of the reason that it's really important that 
in biomedical engineering, your work clinicians are paired with researchers. Clinicians are researchers, but for those of us who aren't clinicians, that we're working very closely with the biostatistician group and our clinical you know, colleagues so that we can make sure that we're interpreting the results of what we do. And in our sports world, our clinical colleagues are really those coaches that help make the impact on the athletes, whether it's technical skills training or improved athleticism and whatnot. Just partnering with those people who put this into practice all the time, mm-hmm. I think is really important. Yeah. And I think that's a great point is just having those conversations and reaching out to people. It's really nice that they're you know, very accessible to you. But I also think it's totally possible to email people and ask them for their opinion, you know, on your project, either before you get started or interpreting results and things like that. It's, Mm -hmm. and I know, you know, a lot of people are more than willing to help. So. And that's a great point. I mean, while we have people working with us, we do that ourselves. I'll email people across the United States, whether I do it from a cold call, which happens a lot more than you would think, or, um, you know, just reaching out to people who we have established networks with, really just trying to bring the people who have the most knowledge together is what we want to do anytime we do something. And so those research collaborations and having a network, and I think that's something that's really important that I've learned throughout my career is the more you can network with people, the I guess the easier your job becomes because you have relationships that you can work with. And overall, everybody wins when you do that. Yeah, right. Totally. Well, like speaking of networking, we want to kind of like shift gears a little bit. And you've helped us to build up the sort of student voices side of the podcast that we talked about earlier at the beginning of the interview. And we were just wondering what really motivated you for doing this sort of reaching out and helping to get more students involved in something like this. Well, you know, I, I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, but I think it's just really important to get people engaged early on through boom, through national biomechanics day, which I'm also really involved with creating opportunities for people to continue to engage their passions while learning, whether it's learning how to talk on a podcast, which actually admittedly, this is the first one I've been on. Learning how to talk on a podcast or presenting to people? How do you give your elevator speech? How do we, one of the things you guys do that really resonates with me is when you guys talk about your research fails, how do we normalize those types of things? I was giving a presentation at a university recently to a group of engineering undergraduates and graduates in biomedical engineering. And one of the students asked after the, after the presentation, how do you get over your fear of failing? And I think it's podcasts like yours and conversations like what you guys are leading where maybe we redefine what that is. Yeah. And then we make it so that people understand that it's an important part of what we do. But I think that's really what resonated with me is this is an important opportunity that you guys are creating to help create messaging for your fellow students and to really give them an environment that's safe to learn and explore and, I don't know, just change the conversation around what you all want the future of biomechanics to be. 
Yeah, totally. And I love that you're so aligned with our goals and that we've been able, I think Boom has helped us to connect with people that are aligned with those goals, which are a lot of the community, which is super encouraging. Like we couldn't do it without the awesome culture and community that already exists. Absolutely. And I mean, you guys have done a great job of getting people from all over and really people who've been in this field for a long time to come and share their stories. And I think that's important too, because students are going to learn from that. And it just continues to advance the conversation about biomechanics and create opportunities and understanding about what we can do and learning from others' experiences. Mm-hmm. I learn from your podcast all the time. <laughs> <laughs> we do too. Yeah, we do a lot. <laughs> Boom would like to thank Sanford Health for their support in the making of the Student Voices series. Sanford Health is one of the nation's largest health systems offering integrated care, genomic medicine, senior care and services, research, and affordable insurance. Sanford Health also offers students both clinical and non-clinical internship experiences throughout the year, as well as graduate student training through a partnership with the University of South Dakota Department of Biomedical Engineering. These student opportunities include biomechanics internships through the Sanford Sports Science Institute and Sanford Orthopedics and Sports Medicine in Sioux Falls, South Dakota and Fargo, North Dakota, and provide mentorship, professional development, and growth opportunities, including gaining real-world experience and building useful skills to prepare you for the future. And if you want to learn more about student opportunities at Sanford Health, you can visit sanfordhealth.jobs. That's S-A-N-F-O-R-D, health.jobs. So one thing that we talked about with you was some of the types of opportunities that Sanford Health has for the students. And I'm not sure if you would want to go ahead and like share some of those opportunities and also maybe emphasize that, you know, why involvement in these types of opportunities is important for students. Sure. So we do a number of different things. Uh, one of the things that I'm particularly passionate about and really find enjoyment in is coaching, mentorship, and teaching. And when you're at a hospital, sometimes those opportunities aren't always there because we've got a lot of things with patient care and HIPAA. But we're very fortunate here at Sanford because we have a, a great internship program that allows us to bring people on board for a variety of different roles. And so one of the things that we've done is that we have a year-long internship program for undergraduates, graduates, and recent graduates. So you can be a graduate student, be an undergraduate in your upper class years, or you can have recently graduated and are kind of in between, I graduated, I'm looking for a job, and in the meantime, I'm going to go get some real life experience We have a a variety of different internships from marketing and business development to exercise science. But one of our biggest programs has been biomechanical engineering. In Sioux Falls, we focus on sports. So we'll have three students that start next Monday who will be coming for our spring internship. And then we'll have another set of opportunities that should be released in the next couple of weeks for our summer internship. And then Fargo, we have an orthopedic focus. So really integrating our interns up there with our orthopedic residents and a lot of our work in cadaver labs, as well as in movement biomechanics labs. And they get a lot of great opportunities to work with motion capture, modeling, pretty much anything that you would want to do in a movement biomechanics lab will capture. And then in Fargo, we also have some opportunities with the cadaver labs. Wow. 
Wow, that's an amazing spread of different things to be involved in at an early stage, really, in research. And that's really exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting. And I personally believe that watching science happen is not how you learn. Yeah. And so we <laughs> make sure that our internships are very, very hands-on, whether that's working with elite athletes that come through and doing testing with them or participating in research data collection or helping to write protocols. We do some uh, internal development as well as some you know, sensor technology things. So working with all the different technologies, running those yourselves, we're really making sure that people are getting hands-on experience while they're working with us. Yeah. And that's, like you said, you can't learn science just by watching. And I think, yeah, it's a definitely a participatory sport. <laughs> yeah. So, so thank you for sharing that. And like, I think that will help a lot of the students listening if they want to be involved or know someone that might, might want to be. Absolutely. We have, we have other student opportunities as well. So in addition to our internships, we partner with the University of South Dakota's biomedical engineering program and then North Dakota State University of North Dakota have a joint program where we can have graduate students. I personally have graduate students in my lab from University of South Dakota and then we have students that can come and work with us from all of the programs in the region. And then at South Dakota State University, we actually have clinics embedded on campus that create research opportunities. And then we also have medical students and residents that train with us. So we really have some great educational opportunities and work to really embed the idea of this integrated research team early on. We even have yeah. like PT programs and PT residencies and things like that. So really, how do we get all these experts talking to each other when they're learning? So this is yeah. just part of what we do. Right. So it feels like natural when you get out into sort of your own independent phase. Or I love that. And I love creating that environment and that you guys are really working hard to do that. Thanks for sharing and inspiring us to to be more like that and others who are listening. So Thanks. Yeah, I, I think we'll do our favorite segment that you had just talked about earlier, which is um, research fails and talking about stories of times that you experienced a research fail. So if you have one and would like to share it, go for it. <laughs> so I had a meeting that was right before our conversation and I was telling one of my colleagues, I was laughing, I, I don't know which one I'm going to tell. I have so many <laughs> But I was reflecting and I actually thought I would tell the story about my first one that led to a lesser second one. So when I was in graduate school, we were doing inverse kinematics and inverse dynamics for sitting to stand transitions in the feline. So we were really interested. My graduate studies focused on using neural prosthetics in the peripheral nerves of a cat to understand how we could control people with spinal cord injury, how we could control the muscles to go and create sitting to standing and other transitions. And we were using the cat as our example. But overall, we were trying to restore spinal cord injury movement. So we'd collected a bunch of data in collaboration with some colleagues in Canada, and I was analyzing that data. And I had this beautiful graph of how all of the joints work together and how all of the joint angles changed. I submitted it to a conference and I presented it at a conference. And then I think it was about then that OpenSim came out and 
I put my model and my, you know, data into OpenSim and I ran their inverse dynamics calculation and I emailed the OpenSim team and said, hey guys, you guys got a bug. <laughs> and I said, yes, yes, you do. All of my joint angles are wrong and all of the moments are wrong. And <laughs> yeah. Can you guys see where this is going? <laughs> but what was embarrassing at the time, but a really good lesson was we could have caught this because we could have sat there and said, does this make sense? Does it make sense that all of these joints are moving in this way? And, and once I actually kind of went back and looked at it, nope, <laughs> that made no, the data made absolutely no sense. And so that was a bit embarrassing at the time I was, I was in my PhD and I was just like, okay, so first I made a mistake. Second, I presented it at a conference. Third, I, pretty much tried to make it that somebody else's mistake, not mine. <laughs> Just checking off boxes here, right? So good lesson to learn because then fast forward to my first job, I had been doing a lot of modeling for a project that I was working on in my role at L3. And I had been working with our customer and told them kind of where we were at with the data and the analysis. And I was working on one of my jobs at L3 was to take the modeling and the biomechanics tools that I was developing and then embed those into software that could be used as decision-making tools. And so we're working on it and we're, we're getting it ready for software deployment. And at some point I go, huh, I should check something. And sure enough, I'm sitting there and I'm like, yep, that would have been published wrong. That would have been deployed wrong. So the fact of just saying, okay, remember you made mistakes before, does this make sense? And doing that sanity check, we caught information and caught errors in our model before it went out. And I was able to say, okay, we have a problem, come up with a solution, fix the solution, communicate to the customer and launch the software on time because that sanity check was there, that this, this data sense check was there. And we got pretty close. I mean, we were cutting it close by a couple of weeks before launch. But knowing that I'd made mistakes in the past and knowing to check myself helped us to prevent pretty big damage. Well, I don't say damage, but pretty big mistake <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I would have made and you know, released as a software tool. So luckily, everything was caught and we, you know, checked and double checked and triple checked and were confident in our results. But it's those types of things where I think really, did I make mistakes in, in under or in grad school? Yes. But learning from those and being able to use those moving forward, I don't look at that as a fail. I look at that as it was a big learning opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you're a graduate student and it's a little bit safer to make mistakes because you've got people who will help mentor you through that and help you learn how to take that information and turn it into a process or a sanity check. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny that we're, I feel like it's at the earliest stages that we're the most afraid to make mistakes. Cause it's like, we don't really know as much as everyone around us, but it's almost like you said, like the safest time to make those mistakes and we should, yeah, that's what the culture we're trying to hopefully encourage is that, yeah, everyone should embrace that. And it's the only way that we can learn and move forward as you've shown in your in your story. So thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. And I think it's on us as faculty or as, you know, more seasoned 
people in the field to really help to have a safe space for mistakes. You know, we're always focused on safety and on, on communication in the healthcare field. And really just how do you make sure that we're all open and able to talk to each other and check each other and make sure that you're checking yourself and, and just have that culture of, hey, look, it's okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. We got to learn from it. We have to improve and we have to make sure everyone's comfortable to make mistakes, provide feedback on that, and that we're open to hearing it when we make those mistakes. I think those are really important as we look at it, because otherwise we do end up in those failure modes rather than in that learning mode. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, thank you for talking with us about that. I think those were some really awesome points that you made. We would love to know what you're most excited about for the future of biomechanics. Oh, my goodness. That's a loaded question. (laughs) You know, what I love about biomechanics and for Biomechanics Day, we did a biomechanics competition where we sponsored art and biomechanics. And one of the things that was created was this, the word biomechanics, but it highlighted all of the different areas of biomechanical engineering or of biomechanics in general, right? And so the B was made out of something and all of the letters were different. And what I'm really excited about and what I see is that biomechanics has always been this diverse field that's had impact in sports, in the clinical world, in dental implants, and you know all of these wonderful things that I find fascinating. Yeah. What I'm really excited about is the initiatives like Biomechanics Day and the Biomechanics Initiative and creating opportunities through ESPN Science of Sport or Midco Sport Science segments about making this commonplace. How do we continue to advance the understanding of science and scientific literacy in elementary school students, in high school students, and continue to create a passion around these things and make them more commonplace because The more that we do that, the farther our field is going to advance and the more impactful it's going to be. And so I think that's what really excites me is just seeing all of these initiatives from people around the world trying to share their passions with, Mm -hmm. you know, college students, high school students, elementary school students, and really creating that scientific literacy and that engagement early on. Yeah. Those are the people who are then going to be your mentees who will then create the future of biomechanics. Yeah. Yeah. You've hit the nail on the head that really the future is in the people and training them. And yeah, so that's, you've hit really what is the future. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about the people. All about the people. Yeah, for sure. And we love that sentiment and hearing that and hearing so many in the community echoing that I think is, is just so encouraging. Yeah. I think it's a really exciting time. I mean, it's becoming more accessible too with smartwatches and wearable technologies. And like I said, elite athletes are starting to use it. And so it's really just nice that this is becoming something that's accessible mm-hmm. and that people will understand that, hey, if I have a passion for sports, if I have a passion for orthopedics and you know, medicine's not quite the right fit, but I'm a math nerd. And despite my fighting this, it actually ends up being a fulfilling career that I say this with my own experience. I had no idea this existed when I was a kid. And so I stumbled into it, luckily, kind of going, huh, this is kind of what I'm doing. And it happens to be at my university. But imagine how many people will feel 
fulfilled in their careers and enjoyment of what they do, able to pursue passions that align with their interests and their areas of expertise, that really is because they have access to it early on. And that's how we capture the people who are going to make innovative changes and an impact on what we do with biomechanics. Yeah, I think we probably couldn't agree more on that. So thank you so much for talking with us, for sharing your experiences. And we've learned a lot from talking with you. And we're excited to keep talking and having conversations and hearing from more students on Student Voices as well. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing their stories too. Thank you guys so much. And Lisa, if people listening want to follow you, follow your work, where can they find you? Well, I'm on Twitter. I, gosh, don't know my Twitter handle off of the top of my head, which is possibly embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm on LinkedIn. And definitely, yeah, if you guys want to, you know, send out my information, I'd be happy to connect with anybody and, you know, really talk about ways that we can get people involved here, but also ways that we can get people involved with Biomechanics Day and, and, you know, connect people within the biomechanics community with resources within their regions. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you for offering to do that. We'll definitely add, you know, your Twitter handle and your contact info. We'll, We'll definitely tweet the episode and everything from Biomechanics OOM and then tag you. So I'm sure there'll be lots of responses and people reaching out. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to it. Awesome. Thanks, Lisa, so much. Thank you, guys. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Student Voices, a series by Biomechanics on Our Minds by students and for students. If you have an idea for an episode of Student Voices, or if you want to host your own episode, please reach out to us at biomechanicsonourminds at gmail.com or tweet at us at biomechanicsoom. We'd love to hear from you. Let's keep these conversations going.